try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for our first family chapel of the spring term. May is just a couple months away. Can you believe it? It has come. This year has come and gone, and but we are blessed to be here again today. We're privileged to have Reverend Bruce Cadle with us this morning. He's a transcript evaluator and also interim pastor at Carvel, right? Carvel Church of Nazarene. So let's welcome him. He's going to be bringing us the word. So let us all stand as we worship this morning. Philippians chapter 2 says, Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just to set the record straight a little bit, my official title here is Transcript Evaluator. At Carvel, Colorado, my official title is Permanent Part-Time Temporary Interim Pastor. <laughs> How does that work anyway? I've been there just shy of three years, and permanent, temporary, part-time, and never mind. <laughs> Can I tell you something before I go any further this morning? No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, no matter this moment, what's going on inside here, God loves you. His promise is, I have loved you with an everlasting love, which means he's always going to love you. So, yeah, rough times come, bad things happen, and, and just big stuff occurs, and sometimes we carry too much baggage on our shoulders. But still the fact remains, wherever you are, God loves you. Can I give you that assurance today? I need to have that with you because we're preaching out of a passage this morning from Mark chapter 5. The title is not very inspiring in my script, in, in my Bible. You know, the Bible's very, they have the passages split up, the titles and headings and things. I, on this one, if I can use my bifocals to get to it, it says, a dead girl and a sick woman. Is that inspiring? Aren't you glad God loves you? <laughs> Let me read a few verses. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but we'll be in this chapter. Jesus has calmed the storm. He's healed the demon-possessed, that, that, that demon-possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes. And now he's come back over by boat again to the other side of the lake. And a crowd gathers. And, and out of the crowd, a man shows up, a distraught father, a man who's overwhelmed with, with love and grief and, and fear and anxiety all at once. Hear the word. One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Can I stop? Let me repeat that. So Jesus went with him. 
And then the interruption happens. The crowd is there. Jesus is there. Jairus is there. They're going along and interruptions. No. A lady reaches through the crowd, a lady who'd been sick with an issue of blood for 12 long years, and she just stretches through and touches his garment, and poof, she's healed by the faith that she had in Jesus. And Jesus turns around and goes, who touched me? And you know that whole story. But if I'm Jairus, I'm going, ah! My kid is sick. Who are you to interrupt this? We gotta go. Dad and mom, put yourself there. <laughs> they go through the ordeal in the father's mind of, of this whole miraculous healing, and it was wonderful. I have a sermon on that, too. I'll give you later. While Jesus was still speaking with this woman, calling her daughter, by the way, down in verse 34, 35, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can that, could they have been any more tactful than that? <laughs> Your kid died. Let's go. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead. She's just asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, can you just see that one? The guy who, who cleaned the temple out with the cat and nine tails he built himself. I think he could handle this crowd. He kicked them all out. Then he took the child's father and mother, Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, and the disciples who were with them, Peter, James, and John. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is to say, my little girl, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around, for she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he told them to give her something to eat. An anxious father's fearful request, followed by every parent's worst nightmare, in a lesson that teaches us, I think, in the most personally fearful, sorrowful, desperate times, the Jesus who loves you is there for you. I think the key issue is that we understand he's there and we learn to trust him when the skies do grow dark and gloomy and the winds are blowing and, and just fearsome things are happening in our lives. When we trust him, we realize the grace and peace that comes from letting Jesus pilot our lives through the dark and stormy skies. And wow, what a time. I want to share three little quick thoughts with you. The first one is, it's an earth-shaking announcement. I will blow you away when I say this. I bet you've never heard this, you've never understood this, all the scholasticism that's in this room. Is that a word? It is now. Here it is, the earth-shaking announcement. We all have fears. Yeah. 
science is A-M-E-N, right? We all get afraid. We are all terrified. Let me ask you this. What is it that makes you afraid? What is it that makes your hands sweat and your stomach upset and, and, and all kinds of quiverings go on inside you? What terrifies you so you can't sleep at night? Do I have a picture, Vic? There we go. I, did, I didn't have the nerve to put a real spider up, so I put up squirrel spider instead. I'll give you a laugh and so you don't throw anything at me. What is it truly that, that blows you away, that, that shakes you to your foundations, that, may, that, that really nearly causes you to shipwreck your faith on the, the, the reef of fear? We all have it. A lot of you know, that if you talk to me very much, especially the last couple of weeks, you know of my dread, that's the right word, of flying. There's something unnatural about putting a guy this tall in a vehicle that's this tall. It's a big plastic straw. <laughs> and then making that big plastic straw go at 600 miles an hour at 40,000 feet in any kind of weather and expecting me to enjoy that. For years, Shirley watched me and thanked me after every flight because I was single-handedly holding up the plane by the arms of the chair. Hey, it's me. She has since learned to sedate me with a little tiny blue pill, and as soon as we get on the plane, take the pill, out he goes, and no more fear, no more bad time for Shirley, and she doesn't have to explain to the flight attendants why I'm turning red and blue and green and purple and everything else. I would rather spend, I'll tell you this, I would rather spend four days in my car, the little Hyundai, driving that to Tampa, Florida, rather than spending six or eight hours in an airplane flying there. They let me drive my car. The plane is just not natural. Plastic straw, 400 miles an hour, 40,000, no. The last flight I took, the, the, we were delayed by 45 minutes because there was high winds gusting across the runway here in Colorado Springs. Well, duh, when do we not have high winds? Wind is what we do. We finally got on board the airplane, and we're ready to deplane, and, and the plane goes up, and about the time the wheels are leaving the tarmac, the plane gets hit by a gust of wind and goes, Err. I'm going, ah! Shirley's over there, puts both hands on me, one hand on my chest, one hand on my, holds me in my seat because she knows I'm going out the side door. <laughs> I'll take my chances with the drop. You know? I don't have a good time with things that scare me. Neither do you. Our hearts won't rest. Our minds don't know peace. We can't comprehend the depths of the Lord's love for us if we allow fear to overwhelm, control, dominate who we are. I love this quote, and it leads me to the next point. We are not immune to fear, but we can face our fears with Jesus. In the flight 
mode that I'm using this morning, that would be let Jesus be your pilot through your fear. I made the flight that day. I'm standing here. Obviously, the plane went up, went down the way it was supposed to. Everything worked. We landed, had a good time. Well, surely had a good time. I slept. But I learned a big lesson on the return flight. We, were, we got to Tampa okay on the return flight from Tampa. I learned this huge lesson for me. I can trust the pilot with the plane. How many of you didn't know that? <laughs> for years, I didn't see the guy in the front. I didn't know the guy in the front. He's a total stranger, putting me in a plastic straw, doing 600 miles an hour at 40,000 feet, and I'm trusting that? <laughs> Is it under any wonder she had to put me on a little blue pill? <laughs> we sat on the airplane. As we boarded in Tampa, there was a man in full uniform. He had epaulets on his shoulders. He had hash marks on his sleeves. I, I don't remember what airline it was, Shirley, but it was, he had yellow stripes and hash marks up and down. And then he had the most important thing that, that I observed on his jacket, a big set of wings. And on the wings it said, Captain. And he shook my hand. He was greeting every one of us as we got on board the airplane. He took my hand, he shook my hand, asked how I was, told me he was glad to see me, glad to have me on his airplane that day. And I said, I hope it's a good flight. And he said, sir, it's going to be a great flight. I'm going to take care of you. Everything you, that, that you're worried about, I will handle it. He said this to me. And I went back to my seat going, yeah, right. <laughs> Turkey pilot, he's going to kill me. We're all going to die. <laughs> I had a window seat, and I looked out the window trying to distract myself from the impending doom as we took off. You know. and, and before the plane pulled away from the gate and all that stuff, they, they finished loading, and I could hear various things throughout the plane, noises and bumps and booms and crashes, and I presume they were loading luggage and not tearing something up. I saw the same guy that greeted me do a walk around the airplane, and he put his hands on various panels and places and buttons and lever on, the, on the exterior of the plane. He checked the flaps. He checked the, 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 the landing gear and all that stuff. The coolest thing was, I saw this guy walk up to the nose gear and go, kick, kick, kick. He was kicking the tires on his own plane. And it hit me. You know, this guy, he is cool. He knows everything there is to know about this plane. Not any plane, but this plane. Every lever, every dial, every readout, every noise, every sigh, every whir, every buzz, the whole plane, he knows it, knows the tail. And not only that, he can do with that airplane what I know I can't even begin to try to do. I keep kidding, let me drive the plane. There's no way I can drive the plane. He can drive the plane. And he can get me safely to my destination. I relaxed in that knowledge, and I had a great flight. And then it hit me. The pilot knows exactly what to do. I just need to trust him. And spiritual light, come on. It's a preacher thing. We just hit, it just hits us. That's the way it is with Jesus. 
I get myself nervous. I get myself anxious. Bad things happen. I just blow it out of proportion in my head and my heart, and I let it totally dominate and control me. I've got to get the hot tip that Jesus, if he's really the pilot of this life, he's got it covered. He knows everything there is to know about me, my situation, my hassle, my conflict, my problem, my fear, my anxiety, my despair, my despondency, my anything. You fill in the blank. He knows it inside, outside, upside, downwards. All I have to do is trust him. I can't imagine what Jairus and Mrs. Jairus were going through and the desperation that drove him to leave his dying daughter's bedside where any parent would want to be and run down the street to where Jesus was in that big crowd and work his way through the crowd and just say, Jesus, come and help! The despair in his heart, the fear that crushed him, the, the, the grief that caused the tears, I know, that were on his face. And he went to the one he knew would have it covered. Being a good Jew and a synagogue leader, I think he knew this verse. We quote it, but I wonder if we let it hit us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the whole thing, and lean not on your own perceptions, understandings of the situation that caused the fear in the beginning. In all your ways, in all your fears, in all your issues, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. He'll show you the way to go. He'll show you what needs to happen. He's got it covered for you. Peter said it right as well. He was there that day, and I think maybe these, this scene was in his mind as he wrote these words. He said, cast all your anxiety, worry, dread, fear, terror, issues on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Can you do that? What fear is greater than spider squirrel for you? What terror is crushing you, even though you put a smile on your face while you're here? You put the, the uniform on, you put the game face on, and you're just going through and, and plotting day after day, step after step, job after job, getting everything down the list. You're going through it, but you know inside, there's a quivering mass of jello that's terrified. What is that issue? Do you know he knows it? And if you let him have it, he's got it covered. The third thing. It's an invitation. Give Jesus the pilot seat. Let him drive. You've all heard that, that phrase, God is my co-pilot, right? We're all familiar with that. I don't buy that. That's a wrong statement for those of us in the Wesleyan theological persuasion. We don't believe that we need an assistant to get through this life, right? A co-pilot is an assistant. He's not the guy in charge. I'm the guy in charge. But if I believe what we say we believe in the fullness of our Christian faith and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I'm not driving. He's driving. I'm not even assistant. I'm following. I'm sitting in the seat behind the pilot. And that's where I need to be if I'm going to overcome this thing called fear. 
and reside in his perfect love. Let him have the driver's seat. That's the secret to grace and peace in the troubled skies of life. Trust Jesus to handle what you can't handle, to fly the plane of who you are, and to fly you safely to our heavenly destination. Peter said it, 1 Peter chapter 3, let your hearts, in your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as what? I'm half deaf. Don't make, don't make Gary be the only one that answers. Okay, Terry lip-synced it. In your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. If he's the boss and the fear isn't, then... His love governs your life. His power inhabits your life. Perfect love has the power to cast out the fear. I don't have it anymore. I'm following him, and I know the end result. Amen. Years ago, a dying friend named Leroy presented me with a gift when we lived in northern Wisconsin. He came driving in in his 1947 Chevy hot rod with the big block 350 built to the max and blueprinted and all that other hot rod stuff, big fat tires, and he could just turn that on a dime and he could burn rubber, he told me, for half a mile if he wanted to. I thought that was cool, but he never let me drive the car for some reason. But he pulled into my parking lot one day and he hopped out and now he was at that time 67 years old. I guess hopping is not a good thing. But he got out of the car, and he had some package under his arm, and he said, Pastor Bruce, I have something for you. I want to give this to you as a thank you for what you've done for me, for my family, for my wife. His wife was now deceased with cancer, and we'd been through, them, through the whole battle with them. And I took the package from him, and I unwrapped the package, and it was a clock, a handmade clock. It's hanging on my wall at the ranch now. He'd built this himself in his own little craft shop, and and he built stuff like that, sold it all the time. But this one he made specially for me. And he handed it to me. He said, thank you for what you, what you do. And I'm looking at the clock, and I, th I shook his hand. I th thanked him for it. And he said, no, 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 no. Look at the clock. Well, to tell you, uh, the old folks know more than the new folks. It was an LP made into a clock. You know what an LP is? It's not gas. It was a record, a vinyl CD. In fact, it was an 88, which turned on a, on a, on a turntable at 88 revolutions per minute and gave uh, music. <laughs> and I thought, that was cool. Leroy, thank you for giving. This is really, it's, it's archaic, but it, it reminds me of my parents because they listened to 88s and they, we used to have a bunch of those things. I thought that was really nifty. And, and they said, no, look at the clock. Okay, okay, I looked at the clock, and there, the LP, which formed the face of the clock, still had the label. On the label, it said 88 RPM. It had the RCA label and the little dog picture. And then it had the title of the song, Jesus, Savior, Pilot, Me. That was the theme song of his life. We sang that at his funeral three weeks later. Do you know the words of that song? Jesus saved... First of all, stop. How many of you know that song? Gary, you'll know it. No? 
No? I stumped Gary. Yeah. Dr. Graves, do you know that one? Does anybody know this? Alan, you know it. Jay. Oh, you got it. It's not in the hymnal anymore. When they gave us the, the new hymnal a few years ago, they took this one out. It's in the hymnal we use at Carville. We just sang it Sunday. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rocks and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass came from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. As a mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves, thy will obey. When thou sayest to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And when at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar, twixt me and the peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, fear not, I will pilot thee. That speaks even now. And this was 1875. If only we'd learn to let Jesus take the wheel. We trust him enough to say, I'll let you drive. I will follow you. My whole job in life is to hear what, what, what Jesus told Jairus. Don't be afraid of the crisis, of the fearful thing. Trust me. Let's go together. Jairus went with Jesus when they concluded the business with the other lady, and, and as they're going, the messengers came. You know the story. The, the daughter was now deceased, and, and Jairus' heart must have been crushed within him. And in my mind's eye, I, I put the video screen up, and I see how that must have worked out, and I, and I see Jesus, Lord of life, put his hands on this father and, and say those very words, trust me. Don't be overwhelmed. Trust me. And he goes together. And I, I think it was arm around shoulder. I mean, that's just me in my own fantasy world. I just think Jesus was close to this guy. They go home. There's Mrs. Jairus, other family members and friends and neighbors, and the mourners are all there, and the wailing in the morning and the moaning and all that stuff's going on in the house. All these doomsayers and naysayers and, and, and death celebrators are there. And Jesus says, death be gone. Death sayers, get out. And Jairus does something cool. He brings Jesus into the house. And by doing that, he made Jesus master of the house. He made him Lord. And Jesus takes Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, then the three apostles, that he, he took them almost everywhere. Peter, James, and John, the three guys that were hit, they were his hands wherever they went. They walked in the house. They shut the doors. They locked the door. Can you see Jesus locking the door? They walked into the little chamber, the bed chamber, where the, the child lay, her body spread out on the mat, and there's no life, there's no breath, there's no pulse, there's nothing, just the dead child. The parents are grieving, the tears are flowing, they're, they're just desperate in this moment. Peter, James, and John are like, she's dead, what up? Jesus goes to the child, and without even touching it, the father said, lay hands on her that she will live. He doesn't even touch her, he just walks up, and says, my little girl, that tender, my little girl, get up. It's time. You know what happened? She got up. 
Jesus turns to Mr. and Mrs. Jairus, restores the child to him, smiles, said, oh, now feed her. What else do you do with a 12-year-old kid? Food, food, food. And Mark puts that in, I think, to show us the validity of what happened in that moment. Jesus raised the dead to conquer fear for you and I. He would later do that on the cross and in the empty tomb. He would conquer our fears with his own blood. And all we had to do is trust. I came across uh, uh, the paraphrase of the 23rd Psalm, and I'll, I'll work toward closing with this. It's the, the airport psalm. I found this in, in Houston, Texas. The Lord is my pilot. I have everything I need for a safe flight. He lets me rest in reclining seats. He flies me through the clear skies. He renews my journey daily. He keeps me on the right course as I honor him as my captain. Even though we fly through the darkest of skies, I will not be afraid, for you are still my pilot. Your wings and your fuselage protect me and keep me airborne, and you give me a great flight. Surely, your caring, skill, and daring will stay with me all through the flight, and I will fly in your friendly skies forever. Amen. Tanya White has said, God will never lead you where he cannot take care of you. All you need to do is follow and let him drive. And if we let him be our pilot, if we let him, if you want, if you want to go steer the ship, if we let him steer the ship, if, if we want to fly the plane, if we let him fly this plane, he'll get us where we need to go and provide every need along the way. So that our theme verse becomes personally true. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power love and self-discipline. Power to face our fears with Jesus. Self-discipline to move forward through our fears following Jesus. And love that will dispel and dethrone our fears and give us the blessings of peace, joy, and victory as we follow our life pilot, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, move me through my fear. Walk with me as I go. Share with me your spirit of power and love and grant me the discipline to just simply trust and obey in the attitude of following the pilot. I pray, Lord, the title of that song in all of its power and grace and glory for us, O oh, Jesus, my Savior, pilot me. In your name, amen.